Palm Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays of the year because it gives us an opportunity to walk in the footsteps of the disciples. To imagine what it would be like during the triumphal entry as Jesus came into Jerusalem on a donkey and everyone was waving and excited. Hosanna, the king is here. And we get to feel a bit of what it would be like to be there with the disciples, to feel that excitement. And then 10 minutes later in the service, we feel this shock to our system as we hear the crucifixion account. And it allows us to step into the feet of the disciples and feel the shock that they must have felt when a few days after Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was led out of Jerusalem carrying a cross. That cross was laid on Golgotha. He was nailed to it, raised up, and then died. And we get to feel that shock and ask why? Why did Jesus have to die? The disciples said, why did Jesus have to die? And we ask ourselves, why? Why did Jesus have to die? Now, most of us would probably say, well, Jesus died for our sins, which is correct. But what sins? What was the meaning behind his death for us? And that's what I want to talk about this morning in our sermon. So if you have your Bibles, flip them over to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, starting in verse 39, is where we're going to pick up. This is page 834 in the Pew Bible, so follow along with us. What happened on that cross? Why did Jesus have to die? And I want to look at two specific details. You could could preach a whole sermon series and all these little teeny details in here, but I want to look at two. First is the words in the mouth of the mockers, and then the second is the words in the mouth of Jesus. And what do they tell us about why he died? So listen in. This is a detail that I never really picked up on until I started studying for this sermon. In verse 39, it says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. They were shaking their heads at him and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And the chief priests and the scribes and the elders all joined in the mocking and said, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. On the cross, Jesus heard these mocking words. If you are the Son of God, if you are the King of Israel, save yourself. Do those words sound familiar? Because in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he heard a very similar thing when he was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. Satan said, if you bow down to me, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Save yourself the trouble of your earthly ministry. Save yourself the suffering. Save yourself the cross. I'll give it all to you now. Save yourself. That word we oftentimes hear in our own mind. When we encounter some sort of struggle, some sort of evil, when we see something going down, when you're at school and you hear somebody being gossiped about or you see somebody being bullied and you hear, save yourself. Don't don't get involved in that. 
or you're at work and you see something shady going down or you see somebody taking the fall and you hear, save yourself, don't, don't try to intervene there. There's something in our humanity, a failure of nerve, that we often try to save ourselves. When we should be rushing into a situation, we oftentimes sit passive or run away from a situation. Well, oftentimes in our families, we know what love requires. We know what we should say to our spouse. We know the words they need to hear, the words our kids need to hear. But there's something in us, some sort of selfishness and self-preservation that keeps us from saying it. Save yourself the trouble, the messiness of that. Or you see a homeless person or you see somebody you know is in need. Save yourself. Those are the words that Jesus heard on the cross from the mockers. Save yourself. If you're the son of God, you can save yourself. There's a a Jeffrey Eugenides novel called The Marriage Plot. And a character from the book, his name's Mitchell, he moves to India as a young man to volunteer, to do humanitarian aid. And after a couple of weeks, he's faced with this man who's defecated all over his bed, this huge mess. And if you don't know what that word means, he went to the bathroom, but he didn't go into the bathroom, in the bathroom, he went to the bathroom all over his bed. And faced with this chaos, it says that all of a sudden he couldn't stand it. And despite knowing that he would regret it forever, he turns away from the man that he's supposed to be taken care of, runs out of the room, runs back, gathers up all all of his belongings, gets on a train and leaves. And it says that Mitchell discovered something true and awful about himself, that there were things he could not stand, depths in which he could not plunge. He discovered that he had untested limits. Oftentimes, that's one of our fears in life, is what are my limits? Whether it's, if I was on a battlefield, what would be my limits? If I was at a bedside, what would be my limits? Oftentimes, we've had those limits tested, and we've found that we're not quite as loving not quite as courageous as maybe we thought we were. Each Sunday, we are faced with these things when we pray this simple prayer. We pray it every week. Forgive us for what we've left undone. A churchy word for that is sins of omission. When we have saved ourselves, this is what Jesus heard on the cross from the mouth of the mockers. If you are the son of God, save yourself. And Jesus stayed. Jesus stayed on that cross. Jesus pressed in. He did what love required. His love had no limits. All of our love for other people has limits, and we've seen those limits. But Jesus did what we could not do. His love had no limits. He stayed on that cross. Because he was the Son of God, Jesus did not save himself. Because he was the true king of Israel, Jesus did not save himself. Why? Well, for us. For all of the times that we came up against our limits. For all of the times that we saved ourselves. For all of the times that we left things undone that we knew we should have done. Jesus said, I'm going to the cross for that. And so this morning, if there's something that haunts you, 
that maybe you did 30 years ago, something you left undone, or maybe 30 minutes ago. Jesus is saying, come to me. I've taken that sin on the cross. You, can, you need not bear it anymore. Come to me. I've paid for that. See, Jesus heard on the cross a temptation that we hear every day, save yourself, and he did not save himself so he could save us. So that's the words in the mouth of the mockers. That Jesus paid for the things we've left undone. Now, what about the words in the mouth of Jesus? These words have confounded Christians for such a long time. Martin Luther said when he read these words, he says, what can this mean? Go down to verse 45. It says, from the sixth hour, which was noon, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour, which was 3 p.m. So there was a darkness in the physical realm that was beginning to reflect a darkness in the spiritual realm. Something was coming upon Jesus on the cross. And then it says this, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. And that word cried out only occurs one time in the whole New Testament, right here. He cried out in a loud voice. And it means full of emotion, full of pain. What the word literally means is that Jesus screamed on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he cry that? Well, my God, my God, the only time in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that Jesus is addressing God and he calls him God. Every other time that he's addressing God, he calls him Father, but this is the only time that he addresses him as God. So something was beginning to happen in Jesus' relationship with his Father. A feeling was coming upon him. Something was beginning to happen that he was beginning to feel forsaken. What was he feeling? Have you ever had that feeling where you've sinned against somebody? There's something you said or something you did and you immediately get this feeling of horror in you. You see their face, you see their pain, and you might be just as close as here, but it's almost like you feel this distance growing between you. You feel this utter aloneness, this utter alienation, this isolation. You, you feel this distance growing, the, the feeling of alienation of a broken relationship. We've all felt it when we've done something to somebody. And that's what sin does. Sin is breaking God's law, but in a very practical sin, sense, what sin does is it breaks relationships. And we see it in our lives. Our lives, our world is littered with broken relationships. With other people, our sin breaks relationships. And with God, the scriptures tell us that our sin breaks relationship with God. And when that relationship breaks, with God we feel an alienation and with others we feel this alienation. So when Jesus screamed, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was feeling something that he had never felt before. You see, Jesus, from eternity past, lived in a perfect relationship with his Father. But on the cross, he began to feel something he had never felt before, alienation from the Father. Isolation from the Father. His relationship with the Father being broken in a way that it had never been broken 
Why? The disciples ask, why? Why did Jesus die? We ask, why did Jesus die? Because on the cross, he was taking all the things that we've said, all the things that we've done, and he was taking it on himself. He felt for us the horrible feeling of isolation and alienation that we deserve. That's what Jesus was feeling. That's why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken so that we would never have to be forsaken by God. A poet, Robert Browning, put it this way about that cry. He said, he went up, it went up single echoless. My God, I am forsaken. It went up from his holy lips amidst his lost creation. That of those lost no son shall use those words of desolation. We can know forever and ever and ever that we will never be forsaken by God because Jesus was forsaken on that cross for us. Another hymn writer, Horatio Spafford, wrote these words, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. A contemporary hymn writer, Stuart Townsend, said, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. I will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom, but I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection. Why, why, why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart, his wounds have paid my ransom. Why? You see on the cross, we face the things we've left undone and the things that we've done, we see those in full and they're nailed to that tree. It is finished. Your sins were finished on the cross. Why? Because Jesus loves you. He loves you that much. And so this Holy Week, I want to invite you to set aside some time to repent. I want to invite you, the church for centuries has set aside this week as a time to repent, to reflect on what Jesus did for us. And real repentance is hard. I tried to practice it this past week and press into it. And I realized something, maybe for the first time, that I hate to repent. I hate it. Because when I repent, my idea of myself And who I am, the kind of guy that I am, starts to get messed up. When I repent, it forces me to remove my mask. I hate to repent because I come face to face with who I really am. But I love to repent because I come face to face with Jesus. The one who loves me. The one who died for me. The one who has forgiven me and has forgiven you. And so this Holy Week, I want to invite you to, re- to repent. This week, don't rush over it and don't brush over it. What I mean by that is oftentimes when we repent, we rush over it. We kind of say, okay, Lord, you know, I'm sorry for our sins. I got some other things I got to do. I, wanna, I want you to really set aside some time. Carve out some time in your week to say, okay, I'm just going to press into repentance. And I don't want you to brush over it. 
Oftentimes we say, God, you know, I'm not perfect. You know, I don't love my wife the way that I should. And, you know, you know I'm, I'm a little bit lazy. I mean, what I, uh, don't brush over it. I want you to be specific in your repentance. I want you to gaze upon your sin because when we repent, we come face to face with who we really are. And we come face to face with Jesus. I pray that this will be a great week for you as you press in and see the face of Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. Lord, we thank you for all the songs that have been written because of the cross. We thank you for all of the worship that's been offered to you because of the cross. Lord, help us to worship you as people of repentance and of people who drink freely at your well of grace this week. In Jesus' name, amen.